The biggest benefit for me and that I hear over and over again is I feel how I feel. And that sounds so obvious and mundane, but the, what you find out about alcohol is it is, it's a numbing agent, right? Not just, you know, pain, but emotionally it's a numbing agent. And not just if you drink every day, not if you drink every weekend, if you drink a glass of wine with dinner every Friday, you're still going to get that numbing. Uh, it's, it's a side effect of it the same way that your likelihood to get cancer goes up is a side effect of it from that one drink a week. Like the pharmacology is there. So after becoming sober and feeling emotions that I hadn't truly felt since I was a teenager, that was huge and overwhelming at first. Uh, but now, you know, when I can feel gratitude truly and I can allow myself to be in pain as well as in love and, and recognize the differences between those two things. Uh, those are, I mean, that's really a gift and it's something I was never able to do. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from tribe sober, whether you're already sober, striving to be sober or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. If you're a first-time listener, then a big welcome to you. Whether you're already sober, struggling to get sober, or whether you're just plain sober curious, there'll be something in here to inspire you. So just hit subscribe and get every weekly episode delivered to your phone. Now here at Tribe Sober, we enable people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because it's almost impossible trying to change your drinking habits alone. I should know because I spent 10 years stuck in that lonely place. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Every week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Hello, everyone. It's Vaughan here. My um, Friday win is that I have, for the last seven nights, slept like an absolute bomb so I have created a lovely evening routine obviously no alcohol um, I have a nice bath with some essential oils burning in a burner I read a bit of a book I do some meditation I say some mantras um, I embrace my new alcohol free life and invite myself to sleep and before I know it it's morning and I'm waking up feeling clear-headed and refreshed um, and in charge of my day. That's a massive win for me. Hope you guys are all doing well. Lots of love. Bye. 
If you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on Join Our Tribe. This week, my guest is Justin Lamb. I came across Justin in one of the sobriety rooms in Clubhouse. Not only is he a fellow podcaster, but he's two years sober and he's training to be a therapist. So as you can imagine, we had lots to chat about. I invited him to be a guest on the podcast. So let's have a listen to the conversation. Uh, I'm Justin Lamb. I live in Michigan in the United States. I am a podcast host of the podcast called Friend Request. And I also play guitar and sing and pursued that for a number of years. And my day job that I don't really talk about often is uh, is in asset accounting. It's super boring. I actually don't like talking about it at all, but it pays the bills while I can do all my other hobbies like the, the podcast and, and interviews like this and things like that. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. So you're one of these creative people that is actually good with numbers as well, because normally it's either one or the other. You know, I have a, I have a weird theory on that because I had to take, I'm going to school to become a therapist right now too. I wait, I, I waited forever. I got three associates degrees while pining my way through community college. And now I'm going to go to an actual university and get a master's in counseling. But because of that, I had to take a, a math class recently and I'm 38 years old. So I was sitting there with a bunch of, you know, 18, 19 year olds taking this math class. And during that time, I never touched my guitar. Um, that I my theory is that it was exercising the one side of my brain, yeah. and so the other side just wasn't really doing it. Gosh, that was fascinating. Who was it? Leonardo da Vinci. He was um, famous for having for doing both of those things. Yeah, I'll be next. Don't worry about it. Right, <laughs> right, right there next to Leonardo. You've got an act to follow there. Justin, we've stumbled across each other in the recovery space, haven't we? So uh, talk us through your, your substance abuse issues and, and how that happened and how you started using and, and when you stopped. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I didn't touch anything until the end of high school. I wasn't one of those people that started drinking at you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, it wasn't until I was almost 18, until I could almost legally buy cigarettes is when I started smoking cigarettes. And then, you know, alcohol was an accompaniment to that or vice versa, rather. Uh, but I grew up with an alcoholic father and my brother used all sorts of variations of stuff. Um, and he was he's about four years older than me. And so I watched all that and had a real resentment towards anyone that was using, uh, even when I got into the like punk rock phase and my, when I was 15, I, I still, you know, I had the X on my hand. I was a straight edge. I didn't do anything. And the, the social aspect of drinking is what drove me to that because I, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I, I was a big protector of myself and, and found coping methods uh, to protect myself from my home life or my school life or whatever that was. And my main coping method was my social life as much as I as much attention as I could get from people and drinks got you to parties and parties are where people were at and that's how it started and then I you know quickly started using other various substances uh, throughout my 20s went out to Los Angeles and really went to town there and when I moved back to Michigan after a couple years uh, it, was, it was primarily just drinking and it just it was never something I acknowledged as an issue, 
but as I went through my life and I fixed my other issues, which, you know, financially, uh, within my relationship, uh, I had some compulsive sexual behavior and I've, I've talked a lot about sex addiction and love addiction, um, on previous podcasts and interviews. And that's something I struggled with. The, the thing that would, all the work that I'd done up until that point would all go out the window the moment I got drunk. And so the common denominator I finally found was, was alcohol. And I got a leg up in recovering and, and quitting because I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which in, in itself is not a good thing. <laughs> but for me, they wanted to put me on a prescription that I couldn't drink on. And it wasn't like a, you shouldn't drink. It was, you couldn't, you know, your liver will fail if you drink while you're on this. Cause it's a very toxic drug. And so I had to quit drinking for five months. And during that time, while I was still stockpiling beers, cause I was big into craft beer and I would get these rare beers, these barrel aged beers. And I just put them all in my fridge in my basement and just waiting for that five months to be up. During that time, I realized that that's the longest that I'd gone without drinking. And I also realized that's probably true for anybody. You know, there's we as a society, we, we start drinking at whatever age that is, you know, 17 for me, 12 for people, 21, maybe, maybe they wait until it's legal in the States. But either way, you start drinking and then you just don't stop uh, unless you maybe get pregnant or for women or in my case, you get put on a prescription drug you're not allowed to drink on. Uh, those are the only real points. You know, there's just this constant running throughout your life, which is alcohol, which is a poison and this toxicity uh, that we just keep imbibing in. And I could think of longer periods of time I went without eating broccoli, you know, <laughs> like this, the, the fact that the constant was the alcohol was really uh, heavy. It was a very weighted thing that I came to realize. Nonetheless, when those five months were up, I uh, started drinking again. And I'll never forget that first drink after those five months. Uh, I hadn't told anybody that I thought about quitting drinking and that I had those realizations. It was all like something I kept to myself. So I didn't really have any accountability or anyone uh, cheering me on to quit drinking. But in my head, I was like, you need to quit drinking. Like I, I had realized that I had an issue in that time of sobriety. And so then when that five months was over and I started drinking again, that first drink really hit me hard. I felt a lot of shame about it. But of course, it's easy to slip back into that. And, and I did. And it was another six or seven months of drinking before my uh, levels in my blood went up again and I had to go on that prescription again. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I would say that the, the alcohol must have been a contributing factor in autoimmune um, disease, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would I would argue alcohol is a contributing factor in anything that's, that's wrong with you. You know, it's, it's just uh, there's no as many articles as you want to find on Google, there's no real positive effects that alcohol is doing to your body that no. uh, if you have any sort of medical condition. But I, I talked to the doctor and I said, can I kind of pick the date that I start this, this next round of medication? And he, he said, that's fine. And cause I had a number of things coming up. I was running a beer podcast at the time. I was going to a beer festival, uh, in another state. I had a vacation coming up with my wife, um, to go to the Western side of the United States and do a little road trip out there. And that's what I did. I did all that stuff. And I came back from that vacation and 
we were staying at my mother's house because we were between our two houses. We'd sold one and bought another and just were in a little limbo time. And I, and I quit drinking that day we got back and haven't drank since. And that was, uh, depending on when this airs, that'll be two years ago. Cause it's yeah. June 24th, June 24th, 2019 is my sobriety date. Fantastic. So, yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So, obvious question. What are the benefits of sobriety for you? Uh, you know, I think, I don't know if this is an obvious question. For me, it's an obvious question. But, uh, you know, I think if anyone's listening to this with a curious mind that is still drinking, I don't know how obvious it would be. And I would say the biggest benefit for me and that I hear over and over again is I feel how I feel. And that sounds so obvious and mundane, but the, what you find out about alcohol is it is, it's a numbing agent, right? Not just, you know, pain, but emotionally it's a numbing agent. And not just if you drink every day, not if you drink every weekend, if you drink a glass of wine with dinner every Friday, you're still going to get that numbing. Uh, it's, it's a side effect of it the same way that your likelihood to get cancer goes up is a side effect of it from that one drink a week. Like the pharmacology is there. So after becoming sober and feeling emotions that I hadn't truly felt since I was a teenager, uh, that was huge and overwhelming at first. Uh, but now, you know, when I can feel gratitude truly and I can allow myself to be in pain as well as in love and, and recognize the differences between those two things. Uh, those are, I mean, that's really a gift and it's something I was never able to do both, uh, while I was using as well as, you know, like going through, uh, the therapy, which a lot of people just do by working 12 steps or whatever their, their preferred method is. And, that's that's been the most rewarding thing. Outside of that, you know, I don't wake hung, I don't wake up hungover. Uh, I follow through on my plans. The example I like to use is I bought a kayak recently, and I, I absolutely love it. My happy place is being in the middle of a lake, very peaceful. But I get home, and I notice this right away because you have to take the kayak off my car. I got to take the straps off my car that holds it down. Got to take the oar or the paddle. Um, the life jacket, I got to do all, I've got to take all that out of my car. Then I got to put it in my garage. Then I got to hang up the kayak. Then I got to hang up the paddle and I got to hang up the life jacket. Then I got to wrap up the straps because I'm very particular about how those are wrapped up. And then I got to put those away. I can tell you with 100% certainty, if I was still drinking at least half the time, I would open up my garage, throw that stuff in close my garage. I would not be wrapping up my straps. I'd not be putting the kayak on the wall. I would, I would not be putting stuff away. And that's an overall example of just the, like the menial tasks that I mm -hmm. would easily just let go by because I had better things to do. I was not motivated to, you know, for lack of a better term, pick up for my pick up after myself when I was drinking. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's, it, that's, that's almost a, a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, so there'll be people listening to this and they'll think, but how, how did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I was fortunate in the fact that I was kind of forced to with the medication. Um, how did I stay sober? I really educated myself on alcohol. 
uh, I, I kind of vilified it in a way. And I saw that uh, beer, for instance, and it's funny because I'm kind of venturing back into this now, but uh, it was part of my identity. You know, like when people, there was a, a growing population of people, especially based on my podcast and and my social life that, you know, when they thought of beer, especially high alcohol content beer, I was the, I was the face of that. And I really didn't like that. And I was fortunate enough to take a class on substance use and alcohol use uh, that really opened my eyes to a lot of the, the science behind, like the pharmacology behind it, as well as the, what, what's happening in society. You know, you think, uh, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but in, in America, when you see a, a commercial on the television for a prescription drug, right? Uh, there's hundreds of warnings. It'll say, and this might cause you to bleed out and this might kill you. And this, yeah. there's a warning after warning. And then I look at a bottle of vodka and all it says is don't drink this if you're pregnant. Yeah. Um, drink responsibly. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm like, that's not, sufficient <laughs> you know there's uh like i mentioned earlier like the likelihood that you're going to get cancer uh the likelihood like the the i mean the obvious liver function problems there the number of health risks associated with uh, one drink a week let alone binge drinking every weekend are monumental and we we don't tell people about that and after no. i learned about some of these things i would i would tell people some like some of the facts like the what percentage more they have of heart disease and stuff like that and nobody ever knew like it's always it's always a little light bulb moment for them and that doesn't even get into the marketing and the the lobbying and the politicizing of it all yeah. Yeah. like how many times you go to a little store and see a little dish towel that says like oh it's a wine time somewhere or something like that yeah. it's it's everywhere and it's, it's really uh that was what kept me sober in the beginning was, yeah. uh, you know, we don't like to release control of stuff, right? We like to have as much control as we can of our own lives, especially. And realizing that I didn't have that control, um, not only of my drinking, which is, you know, like admit you don't have power over your drinking. Like I, I get that, but I didn't have control over how, how my opinion of it. It was all being sold to me and put in marketing to me that I didn't even realize uh, yeah, because yeah. That's, how, I mean, that's how it works. We're just manipulated to such a exactly. huge extent, aren't we? And I think when we can start to see through that, we, we start to get a bit angry, you know, and think, well, I'm not going to be <laughs> manipulated like this. I'm not an idiot, you know. Yeah. It's and, and when you think about it, cigarettes, I mean, uh, I'm old enough to remember when we all used to smoke our heads off and we didn't know it was bad for us and nobody yeah. told us it was bad for us. And it makes me think of how alcohol is now. But the turning point for cigarettes was when they, they banned advertising. And now we all know that cigarettes cause lung cancer. And, you know, that, that was the turning point. And I think alcohol will have a cigarette moment <laughs> at some point. I hope so. You know, it, it seems like... When you look at the tobacco lobby versus the alcohol lobby, uh, you know, at least in, uh, and obviously I'm speaking from a, a domestic point of view here, but it's, it's, 
it doesn't look good for us because there's, you know, there's a lot of money wrapped up in that. Oh, huge and, amount, uh, huge amount. And that's, the the billions that yeah. the oh, liquor yeah. industry spend on on marketing is yeah. uh, it's unbelievable, and they wouldn't spend all that money if it didn't work, would they? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and the fact that every TV series that you watch, and most of them are made in America, <laughs> there's just alcohol everywhere. You know, yeah. all the the ladies are knocking back huge glasses of red wine even though they have to go to work and be a senior partner in a huge yeah. law firm the next day i mean it's it's mad and it's all subliminal and uh, it, i think it makes a huge impact and uh, i was talking to someone the other day we were joking and saying well i bet that um, these days when when they sit down and commission a tv series you know and start writing the scripts and planning the budgets i bet they say which uh, wine company are we going to get to sponsor this series yeah. because it's they're all sponsored and the the alcohol's uh, lobby is uh, the industry is pouring money into these series and it's uh, once you stop drinking you just notice it so much yeah yeah and it's really like as you're speaking i'm thinking of a billion different tv shows and just yeah. some of the tropes like what's the boss drinking the boss is drinking a single malt scotch <laughs> uh, you know there there's certain drinks assigned to certain roles in in most tv yeah, shows and yeah. movies um and that's yeah aside from just the general marketing campaign I, I did a little presentation for my class that i took at the time on i don't know if you have it there but there's a fireball whiskey like a cinnamon whiskey and that existed for years and and didn't do very well in sales and they started they relabeled it and they started marketing it towards college kids and uh, within two years i think it, it went from like in the hundred thousands of sales to like uh, the hundred millions uh it it's remarkable <laughs> it's just remarkable yeah yeah well johnny walker whiskey which uh, i'm sure you, you know they they've oh, yeah. now brought out jane walker whiskey oh. for the ladies so. yeah because you know, you're not allowed to think, drink what we drink. <laughs> I know, I know. It's and I hate the way they they promote it as kind of women's power. You know, girl power. Let's drink with the boys. When I saw that Jane Walker whiskey, I thought, wow. You know, so we're not killing ourselves fast enough with the wine. They want us on the hard stuff now. It's uh, so. Um, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Words fail me sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Did you ever have an issue with peer pressure? You know, if you're either in the music um, crowd and do people say, what's wrong with you, Justin? Why don't you drink? You know... I, I thankfully, I don't think I have and for a number of reasons. And one is I'm very loud about myself, uh, like not drinking. Uh, it's not something I, I think you can really box yourself in if you are shy about it because you create shame around it. And that shame is going to create, uh, you know, a pathway for you to drink again. And like, I, I think shame is a really great trail to relapse and so i i just am very open about it and it took me a little while but 
uh, pretty early on, I, I realized, you know, if someone really had an issue with me not drinking, they were really discussing their own issue with them drinking. Because <laughs> uh, supportive people, like, most people don't care. Why, why, would you, why would you care? I don't care what other people are drinking. Why would they care what I'm drinking? And if they do, it's just because I'm reflecting on their own uh, bad habits. So I don't, I don't deal with peer pressure too much. The thing that I end up running into more often, especially now with, uh, you know, vaccinations happening, and I, I just hung out with people for the first time in a while. And the thing I run into is uh, other people that do like some people are responsible drinkers, I can hang out with them all day long. But the people that are problem drinkers, and you you can recognize that, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a person that dealt with that. So I can recognize that. I know. I and, say that we all become anthropologists. Yeah. <laughs> once, once we're sober. Yeah. Because we all oh, that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where I struggle. Because it's, it's a little triggering to see someone flip that switch. Like you can see that moment where you're like, oh, this is where normal people stop drinking. And then, oh, you're continuing. I know that. I know that behavior. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's what I've run into recently a couple of times that I, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that a little better. Yeah. 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 My, my experience with the peer pressure was that I was very kind of embarrassed and apologetic in the early days. Yeah. And then I, I got my act together. And uh, and now I, just, I say to people that it's not our responsibility to make other people feel better about their drinking. You know, yeah. they must do as they please and we must look after ourselves. But it, it gets a lot easier the, the longer that you're sober. Yeah. I just found it the, the best way to combat that is be open about yourself not drinking. And the, the one-liners, they uh, they come after a couple of years, and you can really have fun with it, actually. So why would I drink? <laughs> it kills you, you know. Yeah. It's linked to seven different types of cancer. That's a nice downer. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to bring the party down. That's uh... <laughs> Yeah, if I'm really feeling if I'm feeling really evil, I say, "Oh well, I got breast cancer because of my drinking." There you go. <laughs> yeah, the explosion of the alcohol-free drinks market—I I think that's that's really exciting, and I think it's it's going to make it easier for people yeah. to do something about their drinking, even if it's only drinking less. You know, if they start alternating an alcohol-free beer with a proper beer or or wine, likewise. So um, what's going on in, in the U.S. with alcohol-free drinks? Because over here we've got uh, online shops where you can have, you know, a whole selection of alcohol-free drinks delivered anywhere in the country. It, it's really taking off. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a number of breweries now. I think we're up to nine breweries that exclusively brew non-alcoholic beer, which is uh, huge. I mean, five years ago, I think there was one or two, and I think one of those was in Canada. Uh, so it's really, it's taken off in the last few years, and that's been really nice to see. And I, I hinted at this earlier. It is something I, I have to be a little aware of um, because the way I market it and promote it myself, because I, I get really excited about it. it. I do make it part of my identity to people a little bit. And I want to make sure I'm managing that and that's not managing me. Other than that, it's it's been really nice. And you mentioned people cutting down on drinking and that's been a, a nice side effect too. I like to inform people as much as possible about the non-alcoholic options available because there, there are so many. And I've had some non-alcoholic beers that are better than 
the alcoholic beers I was drinking. Um, and I say that confidently. And as I said, I ran a beer podcast. So like, I like to think I know my stuff pretty well. And so there's, there's a couple like IPAs that are better than a lot of like the flagship IPAs you would find at a regular brewery. But in my introducing to this, and as I mentioned, being very loud about me and recovery and not drinking. And, um, I've informed a lot of people about this and, uh, just this last weekend, I was at my friend's house and he had three different kinds of non-alcoholic beers in his fridge and he was drinking non-alcoholic beers the whole night with me and he didn't have to, he's not sober. Uh, but he, I introduced him to that and he found, you know, it feels better in the morning if you had, you know, four or five non-alcoholic beers or sparkling waters or whatever that looks like for you. But the, the market itself has really taken off and not only in the non-alcoholic beer realm, but now there's non-alcoholic spirits, which, uh, is crazy to me still. And I, I, I'd recently just bought a bunch to try them and, and review them. And they make a, a, you know, a gin alternative, a whiskey alternative, uh, the, uh, the sober bars that are starting to pop up there, they're still few and far between. Um, but they, they're coming up and, you know, those, those vary. Some are, very recovery based, like they, they host meetings as well as, you know, you can go there and shoot billiards and, and have a, a mocktail or whatever that looks like as well. And then there's some that are all drinks, but all non-alcoholic drinks. I know in, I, I want brew dog. If you're listening to this, um, they have a non-alcoholic bar, a sober bar in London, that I believe it's 21 different taps that are all non-alcoholic beers. Um, that's one thing that's still hard to come by. There's only two cities I know of in the U S that you can get non-alcoholic beer on draft outside of the actual breweries. Um, and that's one thing that's just like a little ritual I did enjoy is, uh, I travel a lot for work. So going to different cities and, you know, having lunch there at the bar to see by, you know, have by myself, having a burger and, and drinking a beer and, there's only a couple places I can do that and get like a draft beer. That's, that's good. Cause I can get, I can get garbage beer anywhere, <laughs> but to get a, a good non-alcoholic beer, um, and on draft, there's only a couple places I can go to, but it's, it's really taking off. And I think it is the aftermath of a few things. I, I mean, some of the stuff we've talked about already, but the craft beer market really took off, you know, in the early two thousands and, and, skyrocketed quickly to where it's at now. And in doing so, we started to normalize beers that have alcohol contents of seven, eight, nine percent, and really don't take into account that if that means if you're drinking one beer, you're drinking three beers, really, here's the equivalent. The thing I always throw out for people is, you know, binge drinking is defined as five drinks for a guy, four drinks for, for a girl in like in one sitting in one evening or whatever that looks like. And if you go to a bar and have three beers and they're craft beers and that alcohol content is like six, 7%, you're actually having about a six pack at the bar. And, and that's, I mean, that's binge drinking, which means if you go to the bar and have three beers every time you're binge drinking at the bar every time, like there's things that we lost sight of because we just kept upping the alcohol content. And then the alcohol industry was like looking for things to put alcohol. I mean, the fact that we have, seltzer water <laughs> that is now alcoholic seltzer water when that came out i was like what the hell is going on here uh as, i was like is there nothing sacred uh, <laughs> give me give me my Lacroix." but 
it's it's really uh it's really i think the aftermath of things like that where people are realizing that even if they don't even if they're not alcoholics you know maybe if they don't want to put a label on it maybe it's just like it's become too much or they want to cut it in half or cut down a lot more than that those options are out there now because of what what's happened in the last like 15 years yeah and i think that's the answer if only it can become a, a societal shift that you know we're driving because the the alcohol industry will never stop spending their billions on marketing but if we can start making more sensible choices and uh, i'm intrigued that someone with obviously such a refined palate as yourself <laughs> with the beer finds them them so enjoyable because I love them I never used to drink beer I was a, a wine fanatic yeah. but um I drink I drink alcohol beer uh, alcohol free beer all the time now and I love it and I'm even finding that it goes well different beers go well with different foods and that oh, yeah. brings the taste out really nicely and I never thought I would get so into beer but then I thought well that's just me because I don't know anything about beer but the fact that someone like you is saying yes they taste good is 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 great yeah, I will say not but all I, of them <laughs> no 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 exactly oh, yeah I've tasted some horrible ones too. <laughs> they so chemical, really. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think the alcohol-free beer is delicious, but I'm not particularly struck on the wine yet. It's all mm, the spirits, yeah. to be honest. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah. The the spirits I have, I've tr I've tried two. Now I've tried three so far. Um, and there's one brand, Ritual, out of Chicago. And they focus on the sting of the alcohol and they use, uh, they actually use pepper to create that burn in the back of your throat. Uh, I don't know if I like it or not. Cause I, you know, uh, I used to like the burn, I must say, yeah. whiskey when it's going down. Well, that was the only real liquor drink I drank when I was drinking. That was a weird sentence. Uh, was, uh, single malt scotch. I was, uh, I was, mm. I loved, uh, 10 year or older, preferably older single malt scotch, if I could afford it. And I don't think, I don't think there's ever going to be a non-alcoholic replacement for that. And that's fine. No. Uh, you know, it's not something that I missed to the point where I'm going to go relapse and buy a fifth, but the other stuff I think would be a nice substitute for a mixed drink. If I wanted a, a whiskey and Coke, I could make that and it would taste just like it with what I have. Uh, yeah. I just, yeah. I don't so know. With mixers, it's, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Okay, so we found each other on Clubhouse. Let's talk a bit about Clubhouse because it's, uh, I think it's quite amazing actually the way it's, uh, they were very clever, weren't they, with the Android users? So, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the iPhone users. So we all felt a bit special and superior, didn't we, when we had our iPhones? <laughs> I think, I think other, every iPhone the other user people were going, that way. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've let the others in now, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's going to get even busier. But I think it's amazing how many sobriety rooms are on there. And uh, I, I wondered what your view was on how helpful they could be for somebody that wants to make a change, but they don't want to go to AA and they don't really have a clue how to get started. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, my personal experience with the sobriety rooms on Clubhouse has been remarkable um, for a number of reasons. First, 
Um, I typically am only in one of two rooms. And for those that don't know, I mean, Clubhouse is a, it's an audio chat room, essentially, that's moderated. So people aren't talking over each other and they're about specific subjects. Um, but I usually use it for podcast rooms um, where I learn about different marketing techniques and find guests and stuff like that. Or I'm in there for sobriety rooms and the sobriety rooms kind of the, the podcast rooms give me all these ideas and I get excited and then the sobriety rooms kind of keep me grounded. Uh, <laughs> and, and I mean that in the best way possible, but I think they've been for someone that did this on my own. Uh, I didn't do it. I didn't do 12 steps. I didn't have accountability person. Uh, I, I got sober on my own and I struggled with a lot of inner dialogue throughout that process. And when I found this, I, I've, I realized the importance of that resource, of that community, and being able to speak and sometimes speak uh, poorly of myself or others or whatever that looks like and find out that everyone in, in that room feels the same way. Like when I, I've talked about imposter syndrome in, in recovery and just being like, I don't feel like I deserve to be here. You know, I didn't have like a big rock bottom. I didn't get, you know, I didn't kill someone with my car or anything and some stories you hear in there are super tragic and was kind of saying to myself I, I don't feel like I belong in here and then I realized I was like I'm just going to say that in here and I said that in there and a bunch of people could relate to it because that's that's a common feeling in, in recovery and so finding that community has been very important to me and I've also seen people you know in the audience uh, that are there all the time and and cut down. And I've, I've been witness to people that have quit drinking during the time that I've been in there, which is really remarkable to have someone come in and say, you know, I'm two days sober. I've been listening to you guys for the last couple of weeks. And I decided like, I'm going to quit drinking. That is huge. I can't even, uh, imagine that happening, you know, in, in real life, where does that happen? You're just eavesdrop on someone talking at the grocery store and decide to get sober like that's not gonna happen so this resource has been really really big for that um and like you mentioned the sober curious just people that might be doing that self-evaluation you know i've i've been there where you're you start comparing yourself and then when you hear stories that that hit that stick with you because you can relate to that uh, it really gives you some answers you might be looking for so yeah, yeah, that that's that's so interesting because um, from what I gather, you you got sober without a community and and you relied on finding out more about alcohol. I mean, we say that to people. We say research it, read all the books. The more you find out about alcohol, the less you'll want to put it inside your body. So you almost did a kind of aversion therapy technique on alcohol, I would say. Yeah, to some degree. And, and, the, and now you're going to Clubhouse for the community aspect. So, so that's fascinating because I believe that community is the key, you know, to to getting sober and staying sober. And uh, I believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, because I tried to to stop drinking alone because I was ashamed. I didn't want to tell anybody about my little problem. Yeah. And I tried to do that for a decade, and I got nowhere. You know, the only place I got was was lower self-esteem because I kept failing and thinking what on earth's wrong with me yeah 
So for me, when I had the community, but I also did lots of research and read lots of books. And uh, the more you understand exactly what's in this stuff, the the less you want to touch it. Well, I think the community adds a layer of accountability that we can't give ourselves, right? Because if you're if you're already in a shame spiral because you're not drinking, like if drinking is just letting you down, I let myself down all the time. That's not going to prevent me from doing anything. But if I have all these people that I'm, I'm accountable to, uh, I'm, I don't want to let all them down. And, and that just adds to that, the determination in, in, in like the bad times, not to mention that, you know, at this point, if I feel like I am in a bad spot and I want to drink, or I'm at least in that like arena in my mind, I can call any number of people or I can just log in. I can hit start a room and I know at least three or four people yeah. are going to join in there. <laughs> I'll come. Yeah, see, so it's, it's, it really has been a nice cushion to, yeah. to land yeah. on. And I think the joy of, of linking up with a community, whatever community it is, is um, you realize that you're not alone in this. You know, yeah. so many of us are struggling and, and I work with a lot of people that feel guilty, you know, they're kind of so ashamed for years afterwards. And I say to them, you know, it's it's not you. You're not a bad person. If you've got to hate something, hate alcohol. Don't hate yourself. Because <laughs> the way that we're all manipulated by this, uh, by the liquor industry, and, and we've got to remember that alcohol is a drug, yeah. and it might be a legal drug, but it's still an addictive drug. And you know, we think we can moderate it, but you don't hear about people moderating heroin. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> We once once we cross a line with it, we've got to stay away from the stuff. I think. Yeah. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet J A N E T at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation. And that was actually, that was just uh, another fun medical fact. (laughs) That was the thing that really blew my mind is alcohol is the only substance that you can die from the withdrawal symptoms. And that, that should say a lot because I mean, you look at, you mentioned heroin, uh, cocaine, any other number of like, substances you it sucks to quit those it's it's been tested that nicotine is one of the hardest things to give up like i i remember quitting smoking was the worst but alcohol can the withdrawal from alcohol can literally kill you which is insane <laughs> i know that's what happened to amy winehouse yeah because she was she was on lots of drugs yeah. and booze and then she got clean and then she went on a huge alcoholic bender one night and you know that's that's what killed her yeah i think we underestimate it. it's dangerous all the time so justin if, if anyone's listening to this and thinking oh those people have got their act together i'd like to be sober too <laughs> any any tips where they should start i mean clubhouse is is a pretty good free tip isn't it clubhouse is is a great resource um i would say if you have that thought and you're curious hold on to that 
uh, believe that those thoughts don't pop into our head for no reason. Uh, and I think if you hold on to that and make sure you don't lose sight uh, of how you're feeling in that moment, because that's easy to do, you know, like that's, there's a book called This Naked Mind, which really, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that played a big role in, in my sobriety as well. And there's the part right in the beginning where she is, the author is describing the waking up at 3 a.m. after drinking all night, uh, which if you've, if you've been drunk before, you've done that. Uh, and, and if you have a drinking problem, you might find yourself where she described and where I've been, where you start recapping the night and filling your head with all the shame and regret of the stupid crap that you did. And then you fall back asleep and you wake up at whatever time the next day and you just pretend that that moment at three in the morning didn't happen. Yeah. And those moments of clarity that are painful and shameful, I think it's very important to hold on to those and not as a crucifix, but just hold on to those as remembrance that you do want to feel better. And, and that, that would be my, my advice. And if you want that community and that accountability clubhouse is an amazing anonymous for the most part, uh, and you can make yourself as anonymous as you want, um, mm -hmm. place to, to go and you don't have to look at people's faces. You know, I got offered to go on a lot of AA meetings via zoom during this pandemic and I really didn't want to do it. Uh, and I don't know, I, I interview people in this format all the time and, and you'd think I would be very comfortable with that. And I just wasn't, but clubhouse, uh, being audio only and no, you know, no messages, no comments, no, no likes, none of that stuff. Uh, it's, it's a really, it feels very safe for that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've given a, a fantastic tip there just to listen to this voice because, I had that voice in my head for, for many years and I just try, kept trying to push it away, push it away. I had many 3 a.m. wake-ups worrying about what I'd done, if I could remember what I'd done, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as Annie Grace says in her book, we've got our conscious mind saying, I've got to solve this problem, and then we've got our subconscious going, but what about my friends? What about my social life? How will I have fun? How will I relax? So we have this inner struggle, which is really uncomfortable, and that makes us want to drink more <laughs> just yeah. to, to calm it all down. But, yes, I, I agree. So anyone that feels that... And and I think the sober curious thing is great because we we all have this dread of being an alcoholic because we think that the alcoholic is the homeless man in the park, don't we? Yeah. But so, so we look at him and we say, oh, shame, you know, well, I'm not like him. I'm not an alcoholic. But of course, you know, if we're downing a bottle of wine an evening, you know, we're we probably are an alcoholic if we can't stop that wine. But the alcoholic um, label is is so ugly and I, th I think you know and that, that's why I didn't want to do the AA thing I couldn't bear the thought of labeling myself an alcoholic every meeting but I think that that label frightens people but I think if if people can start saying well I'm I'm sober curious that's all I'm going to try these alcohol free drinks it's not going to be so shameful is it yeah. I was just going to say that that's a lot of psychologists are leaning away from that term of alcoholic as well. And just referring to alcohol use disorder the same way yes. you say substance use disorder. Because um, yeah. that's, I feel like it's more accurate too. <laughs> and it, it doesn't come with exactly. the same negative connotations. Yeah. So. 
I mean, you don't call yourself a smokeaholic, do you, when you gave up smoking? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've quit a lot of things in my day, and if they announced that cigarettes were good for you all of a sudden, I would be the first person to pick those back up. I don't really care. They won't. Yeah, I know. I, sorry, I don't care about the alcohol. I don't care about uh, drugs. I it just, it's the one thing I miss is those damn cigarettes. <laughs> Oh, well, you'll live with it yeah. and you'll be better for it. That's, that is very true. Okay, so anything we haven't talked about that you think um, we should mention? The one thing I will say uh, that I just did think of, uh, I believe that everything has, has a root cause. Um, yeah, I think there's genetics involved and stuff like that. Like my dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My brother was an alcoholic who's been sober longer than I have. And then I've been like, there's, there's no denying that there's some genetic things involved there. But uh, I believe that, that there's roots and, and traumas that are the causes of, of the whys, you know, the answering the why. And I think you can quit doing anything that is toxic for you whether that be alcohol or anything else and until you are willing to do the work and find out the whys you're not going to be successful because it's always going to you're always going to need some method of coping and eventually you're going to continue to replace alcohol or whatever it is with something else until you circle back yeah. to alcohol again and yeah. so that's that's the one thing i would say is uh, address the why and it's not nobody nobody drinks to get drunk you drink to you know cope with something to mask yeah. the pain it took you, me yeah 30 years to figure that out so that's uh yeah that's that's but you figured work. it out yeah. many people don't and i read something beautiful about the genetic aspect the other day that someone like yourself you know you've come from two uh, generations of alcoholics but someone like yourself who's now stopped you you've you've kind of stopped that line you know you yeah. you've healed it yeah. so your children you know will will hopefully go on to be, to be fine fingers crossed I thought that, that was nice <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay justin well it's been awesome talking to you how, how can people find out more about you I, I know you're a podcaster so so let's start with your podcast uh, yeah uh, like i mentioned at the top I, I host a podcast called friend request which was born out of the idea of uh how well do you know your facebook friends uh, which are you know typically old classmates or old co-workers that you don't really know anything about and uh, I started interviewing my Facebook friends, in-depth interviews about their life, and it quickly turned into a, a lifestyle and storyteller podcast that really centers around mental health and making sure that uh, we really respect the different stories that each individual has. I think I was recently asked what kind of value my podcast brings. So there was a marketing thing for podcasts, and there was, what value do you add? And I can say this confidently because it's not my story, so I'm, I don't sound too cocky when I say this, but I think it makes people better people by listening. Because if you can culture yourself by listening to other people's stories and create more empathy, uh, I think that's going to make your life better and make you a better person all around. So I'm happy to have that platform now. It's the thing I'm most proud of that I've ever done. And you can find that anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, it's Friend Request with Justin Lamb, yours truly. And you can follow me on Instagram on that account, which is at Friend Request Pod, or um, my personal account at Justin Lamb Music. DM me. I'm always open to talking. Uh, and I'm an open book when it comes to my life and, and the things that I've gone through. So I'm happy to 
happy to deal with that. So there you heard me talking to Justin Lamb. Let's pick out a few highlights from that conversation. Justin grew up with an alcoholic father and his brother was also using. So like many of us, he began using alcohol to cope with socialising. He was diagnosed with autoimmune disease, so he had to quit drinking for five months while he was on the meds. He found himself waiting for the five months to be over so he could just have a drink again. That made me think of when I used to do dry January. Just because I could white-knuckle my way through a dry month, I then convinced myself that I was not an alcoholic, so I proceeded to drink twice as much during February to make up for lost time. I loved Justin's answer when I asked him for his biggest benefit of sobriety. He simply said, to feel what I feel. He found his emotions overwhelming at first, but now he just feels gratitude that he can allow himself to feel pain and love. Another benefit he mentioned was that he now follows things through. He gave us an example, a practical example. When he goes kayaking, he returns his kayak to the garage and these days he tidies away all the straps and the equipment. Whereas before, he would just leave it all in a big heap. This is a nice metaphor for how we can tidy up our lives and complete projects when we get sober. Justin managed to ditch the drink by educating himself about the effect that alcohol was having on his body and brain. He actually took a class on substance abuse, on the pharmacology and the societal norms around alcohol. This was a real eye-opener for him and it enabled him to make a change. Justin told me about the ads on TV in the US for pharmaceutical drugs and how all the side effects are emphasised and listed, but then he sees an ad for alcohol and there's no warnings whatsoever. We agreed that more education is needed because society is being manipulated by the hugely powerful liquor industry. First of all, the ads, and then the subliminal effect of seeing all those movie characters constantly knocking back the booze. One of the great things about getting sober is that we can finally see through all the BS. It's as if the film is dropping from our eyes. We can watch TV and count how many times a character takes a drink during a movie, for example. There is even a series that says blatantly, sponsored by Jameson Whiskey, and of course the character, Ray Donovan, is knocking back the whiskey constantly throughout the episode. Justin's advice about dealing with peer pressure is not to be shy about your sobriety. Take control early on. Because feeling shame is a trail to relapse. He realised early on that any pressure to drink was coming from people with their own issues. These days, he's happy to hang out with responsible drinkers, but not the heavy drinkers. He says he can see the moment they switch from relaxed mode to drunken mode, which is a cue to make a move and leave them to it. We talked about the burgeoning alcohol-free drinks market. There are an amazing nine breweries in the US brewing just alcohol-free beer. Five years ago, there was just one. Justin told me about BrewDog in London. 
It's a sober bar with 21 alcohol-free beers on tap. So if you live in London, do check it out and report back. If you send me a guest blog to Janet at tribesober.com, I'd be delighted to publish it. When he was drinking, Justin always enjoyed his craft beer, and he's now educated his palate to enjoy many of the alcohol-free beers. He doesn't enjoy the alcohol-free spirits quite so much, but he says they're fine with mixers. We both love the Sober Curious trend, as it's so much easier to identify as a Sober Curious person who is exploring sobriety than as an alcoholic who is heading straight for rock bottom. As we met on Clubhouse, we also talked a bit about Clubhouse itself and how it can help people to ditch the drink. Justin managed to get sober by himself, but now he's a couple of years into recovery and he's really enjoying the community aspect of sobriety. So whether you feel ready to stop drinking or whether you're just sober curious, finding a community is so important. It's difficult to do this alone. You need other people who don't think you are boring because you don't drink. You need other people who understand that No, actually, you can't have just one drink. You need people who've been exactly where you are now. You need to find your people. So please check out Tribe Sober. Monthly subs are really affordable. So just try us out for a few months. It could just change your life. Go to tribesober.com and hit join your tribe. If you're into Clubhouse, come to our Clubhouse room on Sundays at 5pm SA time and you might well find Justin hanging out there. You can also follow his podcast, which is called Friend Request, and follow him on Instagram, Friend Request Podcast. If you'd like a free copy of our ebook, which is called 66 Days to Sobriety, just drop me a line at janet at tribesober.com. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll see you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.